Good morning, everybody. That's not bad. Happy Father's Day to all the dads that are out there, both here and as well online. But probably if we were doing awards on Father's Day, we do have a gentleman that would win the uh, youngest uh, father, newest baby to being a father, and that is welcome to Martin and Micah, welcoming their first or their second-born child, Michaela. And uh, you look like a very proud dad down there, Mike uh, Martin, holding your little one. It is good to see you guys in church. I'm glad that you guys are good. We have other babies that are going to be coming in the next few months as well, and it's wonderful to be a part of a church family where we see that growing. And again, welcome to everybody online. I know that it's Father's Day. A lot of people are moving around. We have a beautiful weekend, and I do want to dig into this real quickly before we send you into your afternoon and the celebration of fatherhood, whatever that looks like for all of you over the next few hours and into the coming week to come. Your Bibles hopefully are already open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you are new to our church, we kicked off the last Sunday in May a summer series. And basically what it is, is what is a biblically healthy post-COVID church? If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, back in the last of May, I talked about what is the church, and I'll get into that in a little bit. My brother Steve, last week, talked about the fact that a healthy church is a biblical church. It believes in biblical preaching. We exposit the Word of God. That means we take out of the Word of God what it says to us. We don't put it into the Word of God. And I want to thank my brother for doing such a service to God and to you, the church, in declaring that that's exactly what a healthy church is. But we thought we would spend the rest of this summer all the way into the fall and uh, do this. Even though there are rumors of all kinds of seventh waves and all these things, I'm not sure that we can even safely say we're post-COVID in the world. But we want to be a church that is healthy. We want to be a church that is biblically healthy. Now, one of the books that many of us have been reading and the different guys that will preach to you over the summer is a book by Mark Dever called these Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And in his book, Mark Dever gives multiple examples of ways that we can all get confused about church. And I think confusion about church might be at an all-time high as we are coming out of two years of covid Because during the last two years, we've experienced church, at least in North America, in ways that we haven't probably done in memory anyway. We all became televangelists, if you remember, just a little over two years ago, when everybody had to go online, and we had lockdowns and all these things, and all of a sudden there was all these adjustments. But now two years later, everybody now has an opinion about church. And so I think there's a lot of confusion about church. And we then we have our own attitudes about church or our experiences with church. Some of you, even in this room, and many of you online, have had bad experiences with church. No doubt some of you have had good experiences, and that's awesome. Some of us are even guilty over the last couple of years. Maybe sin has crept in. We've gotten complacent. We got other priorities. And so sin can cloud our understanding of what is a healthy church. It confuses us. It draws us away. One example of this, in Dever's book, he recalls a personal situation with a personal friend. And he talks about him and his friend, and they had been young in the faith, and they were growing up, and they were about uh, attending this particular church for about two years. 
Mark says that he joined that particular church, but his friend didn't. He talks in detail about himself and his friend, and finally Mark said he felt they were close enough that he asked explicitly his friend why he didn't join the church that they had been attending for two years together. And by the way, the man not only came to church Sunday morning, but he only came to church Sunday morning, and he would slip in about halfway through. He would simply come to hear the sermon, and then he would leave again. And here's how the man replied to Mark's question when he said, how come you do this? How come this is all you want from church? Here's what he said. Well, I don't really get anything from these services except some good preaching. Join the church. I honestly don't know why I would do that. I know what I'm here for. And these people, these people would just slow me down. (laughs) Yeah, it's all right to laugh. Now, I actually think if you read the book, Dever is actually very kind and complimentary to his friend. He actually describes the man as a wonderful soul winner, passionate about God and salvation. But in kind of musing about where him and his friend were different, he said, he wondered if his friend had given any thought as to what he was looking for in a church, and obviously it didn't involve other people. For him, a church was only about good preaching. Finally, he sums it up like this. Dever says, I wondered... Did my friend ever think that if he linked arms with these people, yes, they may very well slow him down a little, but maybe God would help him speed the rest of them up a little. Now, have you and I ever thought that might be part of God's plan, not only for them, but for all of us? You see, Calvary Baptist Church and all of her ministries, including our church plants in Kilbride and downtown and up in Happy Valley, before we can ever understand the main point of what I want to say this morning about the gospel, you have to be clear about what church is and what church isn't. If you remember back in May 29th, I preached from God's words about what a church is. A church is made up by God for God's glory. A church is made up of people who are actually, really and honestly saved. They actually know and have a relationship with Jesus. And the proof of that is that a real church is a group of people that make known that they are right with God by being right with each other. And never in my lifetime have I thought that that is more important than right now in June of 2022 after two years of COVID. Now, that would mean that a church is a people, and it's not a place. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul said, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus didn't die for a place. He died for a people. Amen? Now, that's not bad. Hopefully, I'll wake you up a little bit, all right? The church is a people. It's not a statistic. Amen? That's better. And believe it or not, when I say that, that's hard for me because I love to count numbers. I am all about numbers. I really, really am. But to put it in practical terms, let us get really serious because, again, one of my favorite sayings is that I think I can run faster scared than you all mad, okay? So if I say something that offends you, I think I can run faster scared than you mad so you won't catch me. But let's say I'm tempted to like a certain style of music. And so I let that desire, that like of music, dictate how I feel about a church. 
I say this because music is one of those hot-button issues, isn't it? Even today. And it can be a very emotional thing. Music, after all, makes us feel a certain way. Yet, what does it say about my love for Christ? What does it say about my love for Christ's people? If at the end of the day, the sum total of my deciding to attend a church or leave a church is just about the style of music, what would that say about me as a pastor? If you thought the only reason Steve came here and pastored this church is because he likes its music. So I know what you might say. You might say, well, Pastor Steve, wait a second now. How do we balance the two? I mean, I know we're not supposed to just care about music, but we should care about theology and all these things. And so how do we balance caring about people and yet caring about what people do? Well, I'm glad you asked. And since it is Father's Day, I would like to present... That one of the best things, most important things that you and I can do when we think about church is actually consider this term family and what it means to parent together. What would you expect to hear me say if I was talking about my parenting? You would expect me to talk about eating together with my family, reading the Bible together with my family, going on holiday with my family. We would laugh together and pray together and all of the different things that we do as a family. And yet, of course, not one of you here would think for a second that as parents, I don't make mistakes, that my kids don't make mistakes because a family is not just a name, it's an actual group of people, right? And so it is with the church. And this is why I think Paul says what he does in 1 Corinthians 15. If the church people fail you, and they will. If church people wrong you and let you down, and they will. Let's say that you don't like the music, or that you don't think it takes the right stand about COVID or other political issues, or then remember that this church, though, is still growing up spiritually. Will you love your church and serve your church and be patient with your church and think in terms of family? Whenever we are parents or siblings or children, and every one of us on this Father's Day, I love the way that John opened up the service when he talked about fathers that we can proud of. My dad right now is watching as I speak, because in his neck of the woods, their church service is not until tonight. So I called my dad this morning to wish him a happy Father's Day, and he said, Steve, I'll be watching you, so happy Father's Day, Dad. I didn't wear a tie, but hopefully you'll forgive me. It's warm here. Um, But you know, when we do this, my dad didn't meet all my needs, or was perfect. My dad failed. You already know most of you my story. I failed my dad many, many times. I failed my mom and my dad. But when we failed each other, did my mom and dad throw me out, or did I flick them out? No. We experience things like forgiveness and patience, even when we're frustrated and hurting. You even stop and ask yourself, What am I doing wrong? How did we get here? How did this happen? And that's exactly how we need to see the church. So Calvary Baptist Church is a people, not a place. It's a people, not a statistic. It's a body created by God, made up of true believers who are right with God and each other. And I would pray that myself and the other elders, that we as church and churches would increasingly see our responsibility to each other. But I also pray that every Christian here, from the oldest of you to the youngest, that we would continue to see the command of the Word of God to love each other and serve each other and encourage one another and hold each other accountable 
to the rest of our church family. And the reason why I'm so passionate about this is because I believe with all my heart the only way, the only way you and I are going to consistently grow in these matters is the number one requirement of a healthy church. And are you ready? This is what I believe it is. The gospel. It always comes back to the gospel. As one of your pastors and a representative this morning of your leaders, we want to be a church that reflects the image of God to this city. The reason we are so passionate about church planting and reaching the people in the neighborhoods of this city, the reason that Matt is going to have a service this afternoon in Kilbride, that Adam is doing Bible studies downtown and we want to see services and we want to see churches pop up all across this city. The reason we are helping and and streaming to Happy Valley Goose Bay and Northern Cross is because we believe that a church that reflects the image of God to our city and our province, and our country, and our world by showing them the gospel. Amen? All right, you're half with me. All right? So in anything, anything we do, we want to be sure that God's Word sets the trajectory. That's what Brother Steve talked about last week. But of course, God's Word needs to power our progress, govern our methods, because this is where we're going to learn about the gospel. So whether it be our preaching or our evangelism methods that we learned about a couple weeks ago at our church retreat, or whether the way we take in new members, whether it's our discipleship programs or the way we even discipline others, whether it's our leadership models or our Sunday school structure or curriculum, right down from the very way that pastors and even the deacons have agendas and do stuff, we need to have a perfect reliance on a biblical gospel. And so that means that as a church, we need to be submissive to the claims of the gospel and we need to be aware of the implications of the gospel for our life together as a church. It means that as pastors, our first priority is to make sure that the gospel not only enjoys functional centrality, but we can see it in the way we treat each other. That means that we must make sure that the gospel governs the way the church functions because when the gospel is central, then as a church we'll gain ground in our culture. Look at what Paul says again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, will you? He says, now I would remind you, brothers, and that's a a catch-all for brothers and sisters, men and women, I want to remind you of what? The gospel I preached to you. So Paul is testifying. I want to remind you of what I think is important, but then he makes it personal to them, which you received. So he's he's making the claim. All of you claim to have received the gospel. Then watch this. In which you stand. In other words, this is how you live. And by the way, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. And then he asks us an incredible thing. Unless you believed in vain. In other words, what is your view of God? What is your view of the gospel? What you say and what you do, does it match? Because if it doesn't, then it's not wrong for him to go, then what do you have? You Remember, I've quoted this. The guy that took over my ministry in Charlottetown, uh, Jeff Eastwood, made a most powerful statement. He said, if church is your hobby... You've got a lousy hobby. 
there's lots of other hobbies out there to have. Because just being religiously active, guys, I can give you lots of other things to be active in. Ladies, I can give you lots of other things to be active in. But when you read 1 Corinthians 15 and what Paul is doing, Paul is writing to the church, remember, at Corinth. And this church, by the way, is a large church. It's a talented church. It's a gifted church. It, by, by many uh, uh, measurements, it's a church of means. In other words, they had money and influence. They're a growing church, but if you've read the first 14 chapters, they're a church that's drifting. They're fighting. They're fighting over celebrity pastors. Does that not sound familiar in 21st century Canada, the United States? They're soft on sin. They're yelling at the world while acting just like the world. They're not loving each other. Marriage in the church is a mess. They're divided. They're confused about theology. They're asking all kinds of questions about sexuality and marriage and divorce, even how to relate to the world. They're fussing over the spiritual gifts of God and don't know how to function as a church. And yet, when Paul comes to the end, when Paul wants to summarize the main issue that they're really up against, wouldn't you know it, he says, basically, you've got a gospel issue. That's the ultimate thing you have. Why? Because I want to say some very obvious things to you this morning. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's true today as much as it was in 1914 or 1945 or 1975 or any of these things. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed, Paul said, of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. When we heard Jasmine give her testimony, this wee girl from Belize who moved to Newfoundland, and what was it? If the gospel was the power of God in her life. The gospel is what gives people new life. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, how? Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The gospel fights the church's enemies. Whether you read about it in Acts chapter 6 or Acts chapter 12 or 19, everywhere in the book, when you read these things, here's what you'll find at the end of every one of these attacks of enemies on the church. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So it is true that I think the culture is turning on us. I really do. I also think the church has to accept some of the responsibility for that. But I am hopeful even in the midst of this cultural shift where we may become less and less the mainstream and far more marginalized is because you know what? Then the word of the Lord will grow mightily and prevail. Because you won't be able to play church anymore. You won't be able to have church as your hobby. You'll either really be this or you won't be. And so I want to stand here in front of you and firmly declare what I hope and pray is the vision of Calvary Baptist Church. Our goal should be that Calvary Baptist Church walks into the future reminding us of what this church was originally intended to be. We believe that Calvary Baptist Church will be catapulted into the future only when the most noticeable thing about her character and existence is that as a church we carefully are governed by the powerfully driven, God, age-old, time-tested Word of God. And so, I have two quick points for you this morning and then I'm done. If we're going to be gospel-centered and create a gospel uh, culture, then it would make sense we need to know two things. What the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. 
So very quickly, let me talk about what the gospel is. Mark Dever is right when he says, what you win them with is what you win them to. And this is a problem that we're now having in the 21st century of Canada and the United States. Through the 80s and 90s, through much of the early 2000s, we were winning people with this thing called seeker-sensitive. Now, I have no problem with the idea of being sensitive to what people are seeking after, but if we always just think that church needs to be whatever people are looking for, we got a problem. Because we need to know what the world is looking for. I mean... You too even said, right, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The, world, the church shouldn't be the place. We'll come and we'll help you figure it out. No, come because we know what you're looking for. Because I found it in Jesus Christ. If you win them with the gospel, you'll win them to the gospel. If we win them with techniques and programs and entertainment and personality, then we win them to ourselves, but we don't win them to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, For we do not preach ourselves. But we preach Jesus Christ as Lord, now watch this, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And so this means that as a church, we must be sure that the gospel means, Steve and I, along with the other elders, must be sure to remind you that salvation is a lifestyle, not just a decision. It's a lifestyle of repentance and belief, displaying an increasingly loving and holy lifestyle that proves we are God's disciples. Jesus Christ himself said, right in Matthew chapter 15, by this my Father is glorified. By what? That you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. In 1 John chapter 3, we know John said that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love God. The brethren. If there was ever a place where patience, truth, love, and gentleness should be normal, it should be right here. Now notice the words I use. I chose them very deliberately. Where love and patience with truth and gentleness... If you have love and patience and gentleness but no truth, <laughs> we're back to the 70s and it's just a big loving. But in the era that I grew up in the 1980s and the 1990s, it was all about the truth. And I've said this in many Mother's Day and Father's Day and I still say it. If you have rules without love, it will lead to rebellion. But if you have love with no rules, it leads to chaos. Those are your two options. And they've been kind of the system of the church for far too often. But show me a church that has love with truth combined with patience and gentleness, which, by the way, aren't Steve words. It's Galatians chapter 5. That's fruit of the Spirit stuff. Then you will find a group of people modeling the gospel and creating a gospel culture. And this is why this is so important. So let's not take anything for granted. The gospel is the fact that God is our holy creator and righteous judge. He's both. God created us, Adam and Eve, and all of creation for His glory, that we might enjoy Him forever. And it was perfect. It was perfect, but you very quickly read through Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when you come to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve fell and mankind rebelled against God. And how did we do it? By sinning against God's holy character and just not trusting His holy law. 
We've all sinned, both in Adam as our representative and in our own individual actions. And so let me just say it clearly. Every single one of us deserves to die. And the world itself has the saying, right? What are the only two things in life that you can be sure of? Death and taxes. We deserve to die. Spiritual separation from God in hell. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 23. In fact, we're already spiritually dead. I say this over and over again, but I'm going to say it again. Have you ever wondered why the world is so fascinated with zombies right now? I find that absolutely fascinating. One of the most popular shows of all time is called The Walking Dead. The idea that there are dead people alive. It makes me smile because the Bible has been telling this for a couple of thousand years. That without Christ we are the dead walking as if we're alive. We have 70, 80, 90 years and that's all we have. And then eternity. And so we are helpless in our sins. That's Psalm 51, Ephesians 2. You who are dead in your sins. We need God to impart spiritual life to us. But the good news is, God in love sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ did what none of us could ever do. He lived the life you and I could never live. And He died the death we all deserve. And then Jesus Christ was raised from the dead for our justification, proving that He was the Son of God. And if we would have God's perfect righteousness credited to us and the penalty of our sins put on Jesus Christ, here's the only way. So Jesus, the gospel, is the most inclusive message for the entire world. Everybody... All 8 billion human beings are invited to know God. But it is also the most exclusive offer because the only way to be right with God is through Jesus Christ. And so we have to come and we've got to repent of our sins. We've got to believe in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of our sins. And that makes us right with God. And this is so important. This is the gospel. Friends, listen to me. Only God could image God. Adam failed. Israel failed. Everyone has failed. And only Jesus could come in the fullness of time. God sent His Son born in the likeness of men. Galatians 4.4 Jesus did what Adam and Eve couldn't do, what Israel failed to do, and that was live an entirely perfect life according to the Father's will and law. In John chapter 8, what did Jesus say? I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Paul said that Jesus was the image of the invisible God in Colossians. The preacher in Hebrews said Christ was the last Adam, the new Israel. In other words, Jesus redeemed the image of God. We destroyed it. Jesus redeemed it. But Jesus did so much more than that. Jesus also displayed the wondrous love and grace and mercy of God. He died on the cross for sinners, paying the penalty of guilt and death we all deserve. And that's why Isaiah chapter 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. And so church, let me tell you, the gospel is we didn't make mistakes, we sinned. The gospel is we admit, I didn't do bad things and became a sinner, I'm a sinner so I do bad things. And the gospel then says, when the bad news is really bad, 
then the good news is really good. And one of the problems, our churches are weak and tepid. The reason we're screaming on Twitter and Facebook and we're yelling and screaming about our favorite camps and ideologies is because we've lost and, and, and not being honest about the bad news, which is we are sinners, so we can celebrate and enjoy the good news, which is God sent His Son to forgive sinners. And He created the church. In Galatians chapter 3, he says, because you are the sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So when was the last time in a gospel moment you got in prayer and you were able to say, our Father who art in heaven. When was the last time you enjoyed the privilege you have to actually talk to God as Father. Do you know what it's like this morning when I called my dad? I haven't seen my dad in well over a year. I haven't talked to him in a couple weeks. And the phone rang. My dad's a pretty formal guy. You know you are, Dad. He answers the phone. He says, good morning, Braze residents. But there was something about hearing his voice. Because that was my dad. And I was able to go, hey, Dad, happy Father's Day. And what made the entire rest of the conversation go well was because it started with an understanding of a relationship. That's my dad. And I have access to him. And he calls me his son. I just wonder how many of us as Christians pray that way. And we wonder why our churches are so weak. And we wonder why we lack patience and love with truth and gentleness. Jesus said we are to be peacemakers because in Him we have peace. Jesus said we're to love our enemies, not yell at the world. Well, Calvary Baptist, we don't need to scream and yell at the world. We need to show them the love of Christ. I'm convinced Listen, I am as pro-life and anti-abortion as a man and a pastor and a Christian can be. And we should honestly and openly talk about our belief systems. But yelling at people and acting like we are better than everybody else does nothing. What we should want, getting the whole world to agree with us about abortion is not going to save a single soul. It, it will save some, some lives, and that is noble. But according to Matthew, what does it profit a man or woman if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? So we should take a stand for life from the cradle to the grave. And church, by the way, let's not just shout over abortion if we're not taking care of the elderly. Let's not just shout about abortion if we don't love those that are abused and have all kinds of horrific things happen to them. We should be a church that cares for everybody. That's the gospel. We're told, each, told by Jesus to love one another. He prayed that we would be one. He wants us to pursue His righteousness and His perfection, not ours. Jasmine talked about it. All the while she was looking for her value and identity and that she kept the rules. And it did nothing for her. So the purpose of the church is the same this week as it was last week, and it's found in Ephesians 3. 
God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom, wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal pur- purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, because that gives him glory. So, the question is, do you follow this gospel? God created the world and humanity to be a reflector of the image of himself. And Adam and Eve, who were supposed to image God's character, didn't. And then the nation of Israel was supposed to image God's character, and they failed. So God sent His Son to image the holy and loving character of God, to remove the wrath of God against the sins of the world. In Christ, God came to display God. And in Christ, God came to save. That's what the gospel is. That's what Calvary Baptist Church and all of her ministries must be centered around. And it's the only way that we're going to get eternal results. And so if that's what the gospel is, then you need to know what the gospel isn't. And I want you to write this down. The gospel isn't simply responding to an invitation. Now, Caesar was so good, wasn't he, at our church retreat? And he talked about the sinner's prayer and the idea of of praying. And he said, you know, the idea, why... Doesn't it make sense that the first response of any human being that wants to be right with God is to pray, right? But the idea that you pray to prayer and so that's it, that's nowhere in the Bible. The prayer of faith is always followed by a life of fruit. It always matters. You see that in John 7, sorry, Matthew 7, John 15, 1 Peter 1. In fact, the Bible never offers in Scripture a prayer as simply the grounds of assurance. We do pray. The New Testament tells us to come to God in prayer, to pray prayers of confession. But that always moves to adoration and supplication and thanksgiving. And so what I mean is we can't encourage people to lean on a prayer said if there's no fruit from a life lived. The reason is that if we have a position of no evidence required for salvation then as long as you said a prayer, then you're in, regardless if you live like hell Monday to Saturday. As long as you show up for church, then you're in, as if church is a club. And church is not that. So what else is the gospel? It's not entertainment. It's not backdoor evangelism. It's not about surveys and creating a service that people will respond to. It's about telling people that they're sinners in need of Christ, and not in a condescending way. Remember what the woman at the well did? Her first testimony, her first message wasn't, you're all a bunch of filthy sinners. This was a woman married five times and living with a guy. What was her testimony? She went into town and said, hey, come meet the one who told me all that I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? She felt safe to own her failures, her sin. She felt loved. She felt that there was a place that she could go and admit Jesus Christ might have been the first one besides herself she'd ever admitted. Yeah, I've, I've had five failed marriages, and now I'm living with a guy. And whatever it was about Jesus' face, she thought, it's okay to tell him that. And Jesus loved her just as she was. But he loved her so much he didn't leave her as she was. His love changed her. He didn't entertain her. 
And it's not manipulation. The gospel is not manipulation. It's not musical control. It's not about singing invitation hymns over and over and again until someone snaps. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's not the power of the invitation unto salvation. By the way, here's something else the gospel isn't. The gospel isn't simply knowing how to present the gospel. So you've memorized Romans Road, or with all due respect to Caesar, your five D's. All right? The most important part of presenting the gospel, and this is why we're doing testimonies all this month, is saying, I met Jesus and he changed me. What's your story? And by the way, the gospel is not about getting gospel results. It's not about numbers. It's not about conversions. Remember, what we win them with is what we win them to. The gospel is about God making His holiness and mercy known. It's about God's glory, gathering worships for Himself who will worship Him in spirit and truth. The gospel is about God vindicating His holiness and He did it by punishing Christ for the sins of all those who will repent and believe. The gospel is about making a name for God in the world by gathering the people and separating them to Himself. And so as a church who perseveres through hardships, we're willing to suffer, even be persecuted, and even die for the gospel. Why? Because we are more valuable to God in His glory than all the temporal benefits of this world. That's why that old hymn, not that old hymn, that new hymn, forget the guy who wrote it, you can have all this world, just give me Jesus. Spurgeon was the one who said, if you offered me heaven without Christ, I wouldn't want it. And if you offered me hell with Christ, I'd take it. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So I've been repeating this over and over again because in our outward focus, we want to be totally focused on God's word since our desire should be to tell the city of St. John's through our words and our actions. Here is what God looks like and acts like. This is what he's done to me and he'll do it for you. So I'm not asking you to be a church of salespeople. I'm asking us to be a people who have met God, who want to go tell others. Was it D.A. Carson who said, we're simply beggars who found food, who want to tell other beggars where to find it. So let's not go tell a bunch of people, hey, come to Calvary, come to Kilbride, come to downtown, come to Northern Cross, and we'll teach you how to be just like us. That's a lousy sales pitch. Why don't we tell them to come and meet Jesus because Jesus has changed us. And we found love. We discovered what it is to not be afraid to admit, I've sinned. Not, I've made mistakes. Not, I haven't been the best me I could be. No, I'm a sinner. Don't you find it fascinating how the world tries to soften sin, but still to this day, the favorite hymn is still Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What's driving our church? The content of the gospel or the uniqueness of our presentation? Are we going to measure success by results? Or by faithfulness? Are we all 
from pastors to the newest member of this body of Christ concerned about how we encourage each other to respond to the gospel every day? Are we prepared to be doers of the word, not hearers only? Are we even now displaying the character of God to each other and our visitors? And so, John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, ponder, think about what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. So on this Father's Day, in a very gospel way, every day should be Father's Day. So we'll behold what manner of love. And so Calvary Baptist, with all of our churches and ministries, let's love and thank and forgive our earthly dads, our earthly moms, our earthly brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our co-workers. Let's show them this love. Let's adore and trust and worship our Abba Father. Because the heart change that happens at the cross leads us away from ourselves to wonder at the Savior's gracious capacity of such forgiveness. So may we speak the truth to each other in love. May we be patient with each other as we speak that truth because God's going to work with us all differently and at different speeds. And then may we be gentle with each other while we do it. For you young people, I have said this because I'm passionate about friends, right? A real friend tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Many people in the world have acquaintances. And I don't care how many friends you got on Facebook, how many Twitter followers you have, or how much or big your Instagram collection and club is, whatever the right terminology is. But for all of the social media, I'll say it over and over again, we are a culture desperately lonely. And it's because we don't realize who we have if we have Jesus. But a church, a church should be a place where we can show each other in the world. This is what it looks like to have what a friend in Jesus. Because look at the friendship we have here. So we don't run and hide. And we don't pretend. And we don't make excuses. And we don't act like we have it all together. This should be the place where we can come and say, I sinned. I need help. Because you know you're going to get the truth spoken to you. But then people are going to love you and walk with you. And you will know the patience of God's people because it's a window into the patience of Christ himself. And you'll know it'll be done gently. So it's not the lack of love. It's actually the love of God put into practice. And I'm telling you, even in June of 2022... I believe with all my heart that is what will revive this city and see churches established across this city and neighborhoods for God's glory and the fame of His name. Do you know Him? That's my King. Do you know Him? Let's pray. Father God, thank You for the word that Paul said to the Corinthians that he reminded them of the gospel. On this Father's Day, may we all cry out to you, Abba, Father. Lord, if there's one man or one woman in this room, if there's anybody watching at home or online, wherever they may be, and they've heard about you, they've 
they've been burned by church. Maybe they're angry or hurting. Maybe they're searching or questioning. Lord, I pray that they would know that what makes a healthy church post-COVID is a church that knows the gospel and stands on the gospel and creates a gospel culture in amongst itself. So Lord, help us to be that type of church. Lord, where we want to talk about the truth, we want to talk about your word and believe you and trust you. So Lord, if anybody's here is hurting or needs to know you, may they not be afraid. May they not think they've got to hide. May they be comfortable to come and ask for help or prayer. And Lord, for Calvary Baptist Church, and Lord, as Matt leads Kilbride this afternoon, and Adam seeks to see you, Lord, gather a people together downtown. And Lord, as John prays for Northern Cross and the people that are watching online up there, and Lord, we think about Paradise and Mount Pearl and Southlands and Shea Heights and Rabbit Town and Topsail and Torbay and Portugal Cove and all the places in between. Oh God, would you stir us as a church to want to proclaim the gospel by living out the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.